I think I think I would I would lean to the extent that there's a controversy between um, whether biomimetic design is the is uh, is a promising path for forward. I would side with uh, I, I would side with those that um, you know, that think it's good to take inspiration from nature, uh, but uh, but but really have to stop short there and and you know really have to have to involve the rest of non-natural sciences to carry it from 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 there. I think that um, being too cavalier on biomimicry, like drawing from nature, uh, can sometimes miss the point. I, I think a great example is the the carbon fixing materials, like looking at a tree. Um, the tree can fix carbon, uh, but uh, but adopting all the components the tree has sort of misses the mark. The tree is is an organism expressing genes in an environment. It has lots of other um, concerns. It, it needs to uh, survive certain weather events, but it also has to reproduce. It fundamentally is focused on reproduction and survival in in ways that uh, we don't necessarily want an airplane wing. And so um, I think we can borrow inspiration, maybe borrow, learn from the catalysis that, that's happening inside the natural system. I, I think we have to stop there though. And, and uh, I think scientists will come down on different ends of the, of the spectrum there. I think if, you're, if you look at the developments in synthetic biology, colleagues there may differ with me. They may say, no, um, the, the power of biological te techniques, I think um, ultimately you could envision a world that's, that, that's all derived from say a synthetic bi biology. Um, yeah, I, I would err on the other side. I, I would err on the side of, uh, of um, you know, getting inspiration but not, not generating all of the mm -hmm. solutions through biology. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see a lot of progress on materials that can replicate. Uh, we're seeing a little bit of it. You're seeing systems that can, um, we see, uh, it looks like recently the field with like xenorobotics and so forth, they're going more the other direction. They're t t taking nature and mutating it towards towards the non-natural. But, um, but in terms of like having completely synthetic things, um, self-replicate, self uh, we haven't made a lot of progress there. And, but I would also say that that is a characterization problem. That, that is the, that fundamentally, you know, what it's going to take to do that. Um, we, uh, we don't have the tools to, to, uh, to characterize the fundamentals of materials that could do that. And I say that, I'll, I'll give a concrete example for your, for your listeners. Right now in nanotechnology, perhaps the most the most impressive construction we can realize in nanotechnology uses uses DNA, um, DNA and its specificity. You you can get you know, what's called regioselective assembly with DNA, and there's an area uh, called DNA nanotechnology. People have made these DNA bricks. You you can do amazing things. It's it's no um, it's no accident that it's DNA that's giving us that ability. It's be, but but uh, but it would not have happened. If DNA weren't so important for life, it would not be studied uh, to the extent with the tools that it has and the ability to synthesize it um, to where we can then do DNA nanotechnology. It, it just so happens to be it's it's the one material that we can create DNA in general where we we specify we specify it at the sequence level. And um, I want you to think about like could we could we have synthetic polymers one day? That are that are um, dialed in at the sequence level, 
And uh, again, you could do that today, but how would you measure it? We, we, we don't have tools to, to, to measure it. So, you know, if you want to think about the future, you might think about DNA nanotechnology, but extended to everything, to just, to just any, any arbitrary organic molecule uh, that's concatenated together. You know, could it have a sequence selectivity the way we do with DNA? And when you do that, you'll, you'll, make, you'll make all kinds of uh, very interesting structures. You'll make things that have like lock and key and look like enzymes, but they're, they're, they're made of like urethanes and polyimines and, yeah, it, and, and other things, maybe inorganic materials as well. So hopefully that answers your question. I think the, the emerging theme is it does come down to tools that you can, characterize, that you can use to characterize and measure. Mm -hmm. Right. Maybe three question left. I wanted to touch again. And I think in the beginning you mentioned longevity in the material, and I want to ask you when we design long-lasting material, maybe never damaged. I don't know. Do you believe that we can design material never damaged? But the consequences may be from, yeah, as a human, and also coming up with commercial product. Do you think it makes sense here uh, in longevity in that case? I think with carbon fixing, you could make materials that last dramatically longer. Uh, that that is a um, that is that is almost a fact. Um, the um, the uh, the proof that I have of of that is uh, is mainly mainly mechanistic. If you uh, if you look at um, trees and biological systems, they uh, they li in terms of functional lifetimes, they live a lot longer than the lifetime of the constituent materials that they're made of. And the way they do that is with carb carbon fi fixation. Could you have a material that lasts uh, an infinite amount of time? The second law of thermodynamics says that that's impossible. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, it, it is a realizable goal to have a material that can have um, a dramatically extended engineering lifetime. Um, and, and you can do that through these tricks like, like uh, carbon fixation. Yeah, it uh, it's it's not a conceptual challenge. It's an engineering challenge. It's it is a uh, it's the question is uh, how how do you realize it? Yeah, I obviously think that, or I would not be working in that space. I obviously think we can get there. Yeah, but it but it's outside of just the conceptual uh, idea space. It's an engineering challenge. How, how do you get materials that last uh, that last an exceedingly long space? And I'll say too, just the motivation for that could never be more important. You know, I, I would like your listeners to, to know that um, we use an enormous amount of polymer in our, in our society, uh, worldwide, nationwide. Uh, almost all of it goes to landfill. And so the, the amount of material, the tonnage, it's tens of millions of tons per year just go right down into the hole, into landfill. Uh, nobody wants that. that it's, completely, it's, a, it's, it's a complete loss. Uh, not only is material going into landfill, all of the energy uh, that went into making the, the material is just getting you know, dumped back um, into the earth. It's a losing proposition for, for, uh, for humanity in general. So th this idea of um, can we make materials that last dramatically longer, that are, mo that are more valuable, and so that they won't go to landfill is, um, is an important one. Polymers give us a lot of advantages. They're very light. They're durable enough and, and light. Um, we save a lot of energy in, in moving and package, packaging materials in polymer. Um, but, but their lack of durability means they have this disposable nature. And, um, and it, their lack of durability means that um, 
they, they fundamentally are not valuable enough uh, to keep them economically, it seems, from, from just being dumped into the ground. So uh, I think making those polymers more valuable, making it so that they can, if they can self-heal, they don't even need to be recycled. They're, they're healing themselves. They're sort of recycling themselves. And I, I, we need a dramatic rethinking of that.